We're going to dive into today's word here quickly. Uh, we just finished off a, a series uh, in which was, was a study of the book of Philippians, a real great book. And I encourage you, last week we spoke on uh, navigating through anxiety, lots of good, lots of good reports. People were just kept texting and saying, hey, this was a great message. I took five, six pages of notes. So I encourage you, if this is something you've struggled with or something that you know others who struggle with anxiety, go on ahead and go to our website and re-listen to that sermon uh, and let it be a blessing to you. But now we are starting a three-part series that is titled Different Jesus. And Different Jesus is a, is a series in which we're going to go through different accounts in the Bible, uh, through the gospel, and we're going to talk about what this different Jesus looks like. Because the reality is that throughout history, artists have painted and people have perceived Jesus in ways that reflect their experiences and ability to relate to him. If I went to 10 different people, 10 different people would give me 10 different words or ideas on what Jesus is to them. But when we open up the scriptures, when we open up the word of God, when we open up the Bible, we see how different Jesus, he truly is. And this Jesus goes on ahead and he defies all expectations. The Jesus that you thought you knew of, the Jesus that you thought you knew of, Ever since you were little, when you were a child, when you start to really dig into the Bible, into the gospel, the first four books of, of the New Testament, you start to say, wait a minute, really? Jesus said this? Jesus did that? Jesus hung out with them? This Jesus takes the world's assumptions and he reveals, he reveals something greater than any artist could ever create. This Jesus reveals a God who gently forgives the repentant. A Jesus who hears the cry of the overlooked and suffers greatly for his people. You see, he's different than anything that we could imagine. And in this series that we're going to see today, we'll be discovering and we're going to be following this different Jesus together. So today's passage, today's passage, we find ourselves in what could easily be a scene of a movie, man. It could easily be seen, it could easily be portrayed as a, a scene of a, of a novella, of a soap opera, you know. It's like, you can't believe some of the stuff that we're going to be hearing out of this passage. And the reason why I say that is because in this scene, place it in your mind. Okay, in this scene, there is a prophet, there's a priest, and a prostitute having lunch. Yeah, in the Bible. It sounds like a joke. It's, it sounds like, no, come on. But it isn't. It isn't a joke. It's a real story. It's a valuable story in which there are very valuable lessons. Because remember, remember, the Jesus that we're going to be diving into, the Jesus that we learn about when we read scriptures is a different Jesus that we have envisioned in our minds. Some of us have had an image of Jesus, a perfect, you know, which he was, but, but someone who was just, everyone just came to, went to, and prayed to, adored, and that was it. A Jesus that was too good for anybody. Those are different uh, perceptions that people have about Jesus. But listen, here we are going to see that that was different. 
today we'll see and we'll learn how it is that this different Jesus loves differently. We're going to learn how to love like Jesus. So let me give you a little bit of a background before we get to this table, which has this Pharisee Jesus and this, this, this sinful woman. Jesus, at this point, already had been preaching throughout Galilee for probably nearly a year by this point. Throughout this time in Jesus' ministry, he had healed many people from many diseases. Throughout this time, he had casted out demons. As, as a matter of fact, throughout this time, we even see in an account that he had even raised someone from the dead. And now at this point, we narrow in onto this story. If you're with me, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to go on ahead and read a little bit. The book of Luke, chapter 7, verse 36. The book of Luke, chapter 7, verse 36. If you've got your smartphones, you can use that. Or we will have the verses up on the screens and also on your TVs or however it is that you're watching us online. But this is how this story takes place. This is how it starts. Verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, I want you to notice that. What does it say? He said to who? Himself. Meaning what? He's thinking this. He's not saying it out loud. He's thinking this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. There are several things that we're going to learn throughout this passage that we're reading here today. And the first one is that people who love differently, as we see Jesus, are to focus on the inward intentions of a person's heart and not their outward appearance. People who love differently are to focus on the inward intentions of a person's heart and not their outward intentions. Let me read just those two verses again. Verse 36 says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. First thing we see here, we see the priest. The priest, he was a Pharisee. And we see the prostitute, the sinful woman, they're both at the same table. How wild is that when we're talking about difference? The Pharisee, we learn later on, his name is Simon, who was, it, it, to be a Pharisee meant that you were well, you were well respected, you were a part of the clergy, uh, you were very strict, and, and, and also you were very, very religious. And so this Pharisee, Simon, he goes on ahead and he, he invites Jesus into his house. Now, he's not inviting Jesus into his house because he wants to go on ahead and know him more. The reality is he invites Jesus 
into his house more as an, an investigative terms as opposed to being a true follower of Jesus. And I always wondered to myself, you know what? How is it that if Jesus invites, if the Pharisee invites Jesus to this house to eat, how, how does this woman show up? Like, where does she pop up from? Right? Well, the reality is that it, it was common in the ancient world that the guests would recline on cushions beside the table. That's why they, they, they don't say they were literally sitting, but they were laying. And since Jesus was a public figure, the door to the meal, to this meal, likely remains open so that interested people can enter and they can sit on the edge of the room and hear the discussion. Isn't that, isn't that some type of, you know, tradition? Imagine you invite someone, you know, you, you, you invite me to your home or whatever, to dinner, and all of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, say, oh, so the pastor's over for dinner, so let's keep the front door open, and whoever wants to come in, I'd rather I know you or not, can line up inside my house, but against the walls, looking at the dinner table. It's kind of like, it's kind of weird now, right? But this, is, this was the custom. So now it makes sense why this lady, this sinful woman, this prostitute, was in that room in that dinner. And so we see that the rebuke in verse 39 is not because the woman comes to the meal, because the door was open for anyone to come in. The rebuke comes because she did not stay on the sidelines. And we'll find out why in a little bit. The sinful woman is what this passage says. Uh, we uh, know that based on some of the studies on it, she was likely a prostitute. The woman shows not, uh, she says nothing in this narrative, but her actions produce a wide range of discussion. Her sin, per se, is not identified. Perhaps she's a uh, prostitute or has engaged in some other promiscuity to gain her reputation. But what we do know is this, is that she courageously approaches Jesus and she begins a sequence of serving him. Now, that's amazing because last I checked, this isn't the prostitute's house. Why is she serving Jesus and not the Pharisee who invited her? You see, everybody's watching. And because everybody's watching, we know naturally is a lot of people are judging. And I want you to picture this. Expensive perfume is permeating throughout the atmosphere of that room. And all of a sudden, crying turns to weeping. Weeping makes a mess that is then cleaned up by the long hair of this prostitute. The prostitute, you know, in our society, the reality is that they would be dressed for the job, right? That's how, that's how they, they help sell. You know, maybe they'd be wearing a short skirt, maybe some high heels, maybe a low-cut bow. Some of you guys are sitting here like, I can't believe I'm listening to this here today in church. She'd be dressed for the job because something has to attract the eye of her, her customers, right? But in the setting of that day of Jesus, and I'm going to show you why I'm linking these two, that she, as a prostitute, would have been dressed just like every other woman. And so if she was dressed like every other woman, how was she going to get the attention or, or, or be able to get customers? Well, although she would be dressed like every other woman, there was one key factor and that's that she would, be, she would have been wearing some very, very expensive perfume. Very expensive. There would have probably been over a year's worth of wages 
just to purchase this kind of stuff. So that's how it was, the, the, the difference was distinguished. But here's what is important. Here's what is, what's important during this dinner, during this meal, in which the Pharisee really just wants to investigate Jesus. She sensed a desperate need in her life. And because she sensed a desperate need of her life, in her life, she boldly approaches Jesus. Maybe the fact is that she witnessed Jesus and some of his miracles in the past. And she had heard of his teachings, of the miracles that he had done, of the forgiveness that he was giving. The reality is this. She knew that she was a sinner. She was deeply convicted by her sin. And so she approaches Jesus in spite of all that is stacked up against her. In her mind, she says, I know I'm going against the rules. I know that these people are watching me. I know that they're going to say some negative things. But I know that that person is different. I know that he is the Savior. I know that he can relieve me of all of the sin which is in my heart. The Bible explains that she gives her most highly valued possession, and that is her perfume. She uses it to anoint the feet of Jesus, which shows great, great chastity. Imagine something that you have that you value so much. You worked so hard to get. You worked over a year to get it, and all of a sudden, you just give it up just like that. Giving of a highly valued possession perfume that which she used to attract men to, to herself, she now says, you know what? I don't need this anymore. And she pours it on the feet of Jesus Christ. And her hair, she humbly used it to dry her feet, to surrender herself in total humility. Her faith evidenced itself in boldness, sacrifice, and humility. And so listen to this, church. I'm not sure what drew you to this place here today. There's many reasons why you may be sitting here today or watching us online. But ultimately, ultimately today is about an encounter with Jesus Christ. Because that leads us to our second thing, and that is that the loving presence of Jesus always attracts broken people. The loving presence of Jesus always attracts broken people. Verse 38 says, and she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. You've got to really get the right mindset of this. Here's a woman who understands her brokenness, who understands what people think about her, but she must be tired of living that life. She must be tired of living a life with so much shame. And so she sees Jesus, and she just throws herself at his feet, and she's just crying. Have you ever gone such a long time without seeing someone? Maybe you thought that they, you were in trouble, whatever the case is, and all of a sudden you see that person, and you run to them, and you hug them, and you begin to cry. This was the encounter in which she's having. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is, in, who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I love this. I love this. You know why? Because what we see is there's two different people with two different lenses seeing a different Jesus. 
two different people with two different lenses seeing a different Jesus. This prostitute is seeing, I see see the deliverer, the redeemer, someone that can forgive my sins, someone that can free me from this. And the other lens is from the preacher seeing someone that that, that has to be following every, every rule to the T, that must be perfect and must not have time for the scum of the earth. prostitute immediately serves Jesus. In this verse, it details the woman's every move as much as, as though the onlookers, we see that the way this is written, we know that Pisa, the people were watching every single one of her moves. Because in verse 38, we see all these verbs. We see standing, weeping, wetting, wiping, kissing, and anointing. All those locked up into one verse that this lady is doing, this woman's doing. And the amazing thing here, the amazing thing here, man, come on, is that Jesus doesn't flinch. Jesus doesn't move. Jesus doesn't recoil. He doesn't say, whoa, get away from me. Get away from me. He doesn't do that. Listen, if you need to be encouraged today, be encouraged by this, that no matter what you have done in your life, no matter how far you feel like you are away from God, Jesus will never recoil from you. Jesus will never say, wait a minute, get away from me. You are sinful. I know what you did last night. I know what you do every time you go away from the house. I know what your thoughts are. I know how you speak. I know who you hang with. I know what you do. So get away from me because you are not perfect like me. No, that is not how Jesus responds. He stays right there. And allows her to serve him. To touch him. In a culture, listen, in a culture like we live in today, in which it seems like every day you wake up, something else is getting canceled. Jesus will never cancel you. Doesn't matter who you are, Jesus will never cancel you. Yeah, the fact is you've offended Jesus, so you should be canceled out according to today's society. The reality is that as long as it doesn't matter what you've done, he won't cancel you as long as you go to him. The way you are, broken the way you are, never say I'm waiting until I got life together to run to Jesus. No, run to Jesus as messed up as you are. The point of irony here is that the Pharisee, in his mind, right, because we see that he said it to himself, questions, he questions his Jesus' credentials. As a prophet, all the while Jesus, being God and fully man, is reading his mind. Don't you realize sometimes you had that gift? I wish I could read his mind. I wish I could read her mind. She's nodding, yes, but I I wish I really knew what she was thinking. My wife says, don't worry about celebrating this. Yeah, I wish I really could read what she really means. The Pharisee, Simon, he judges. And he doubts Jesus. He doubts that Jesus is who he really is. Because in his mind, he had a different perspective of who Jesus was. A different Jesus. The religious, listen, are always afraid to touch the unclean. But Jesus never shied away. The unbroken are more concerned about not touching the dirty than they are about cleansing the dirty. 
And so listen to this. Listen. The presence of Jesus will cause a reaction that exposes the real spiritual condition of a person. We see here the woman. She's experiencing Jesus. She's seeing him. She's in his presence. And what does that lead that to her? It leads her to weeping. It leads her to worshiping. Because true forgiveness is deeply personal, and it brings out worship that is deeply personal. Where on the other hand, the, the priest, the Pharisee, Simon, he's all about self-righteousness. Self-righteousness says, oh man, a moral person will never let this happen. And so Jesus answers Simon's inner thoughts by telling him a story. And listen, when Jesus told the story, you better sit down and listen. Because Jesus spoke in parables. His parables were meant uh, that, that you would, you know, he wasn't necessarily saying things, but when you put the pieces together, you know, you know what he was trying to say. So the amazing thing is what we're going to hear right now is Jesus is going to answer the man in which is thinking these thoughts. Have you ever been like that? Like, man, someone just told me something. I was just thinking that. Or I was just thinking, man, I had this question in my mind, and this person just blurted out an answer. Well, this is what Jesus Christ is doing because Jesus sees the heart. Because loving like Jesus always recognizes a broken and remorseful heart. Verse 40, Jesus answered him. I wonder how, I wonder how Simon felt at that moment. Because at that moment, Simon is thinking to himself, this guy ain't who he says he is. Because if he was, he wouldn't be letting this woman touch him. And so Jesus goes on ahead and answers him. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he says. Verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Verse 42. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replies, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Listen to this. He goes on ahead. The Bible says in verse 44, he then turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, not hers, your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Now, we're going to get into this real quick. This is some good, good stuff, and I hope you're following with me. But the debts were, the debts were significant, approximately two years' worth of pay. So the debt was a heavy, heavy load. For example, someone owes uh, a, somebody $50,000, and someone go, else owes, or that same person owes them 
$5,000. So what Jesus was saying was, hey, which debtor would love him more? Think about that. Jesus was making a point. The point that Jesus was making is that there are only two other people in the table there with Jesus. A prostitute and a priest. A Pharisee, Simon. And it's no coincidence that there are two people who are in debt in this story that is being told by Jesus. Catch it. This means what Jesus was saying to Simon without directly telling Simon was that, listen, I see two people in front of me, and both of them have sin. Not just one. Both of them have sin. And both of them have sin that need forgiveness. Except there's only one issue here, Simon. Only one of them realizes it. Hmm. Two people here have sin, but only one of them realizes it. The woman was drawn to Jesus. You know, the Bible says that a broken and contrite heart, God will not turn away from. And that is exactly what Jesus was seeing in the eyes of this woman. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Jesus saw a broken heart. Jesus saw someone who was crushed. Her heart, her spirit was crushed. So he was near to her. It's amazing because in the moment of paradox, the prostitute is contrasted to the priest. There were certain rules. And I'm going to see, see what Jesus is telling Simon. I'm going to go on ahead and let you know why that was such a big deal. Some of us may say, okay, so big deal. He didn't kiss him. He didn't, he didn't give him any water. And he didn't give him any oil. What's the big deal? Well, remember, in order to really get a good grasp of what the Word of God is saying, sometimes we've got to look back at what that culture was, what it meant. There were certain rules of etiquette at such dinners in that time. The customary greeting for honored guests would have been a kiss. You know how we say hello? Sometimes we do that still, right? In our culture, before COVID, you know, someone comes over to our house, we give them a hug, we give them a kiss, God bless you, how you doing? Nice to see you. And if you were of equal social rank, then it would be a kiss on the cheek. And if it was especially a high honor, like you would have figured this would have been, you would kiss your guest on the hand. And so in that culture, in that culture, in that time, to neglect it, it was equivalent of openly really pretty much ignoring that person. So we see right off the bat, Simon is really dismissing Jesus from the beginning. It would be like someone coming to your home and you not even acknowledging their, their presence and expecting them to welcome themselves in and sit down. More etiquette in the, in the Middle East, check this out, involved the washing of feet. It was mandatory before meals. Remember, these guys didn't have the latest Jordans or nice shoes or whatever the case is to walk around. They walked around this land. They walked around, you know, you know, with dirt all over the ground, with sandals, walking through the wilderness and all these type of things. And their feet were, were customarily not the cleanest things. All right? So if you truly wanted to honor your guests at that time, you would go on ahead and, and you would... Uh, you, you could even do it yourself. 
as a host, you can say, oh, thank you for coming over. Imagine doing that now. Thank you for coming over for dinner. Let me wash your feet for you. And if not, if you didn't want to do it, then you would just, let's just go on ahead and have your servant do it. Or at the very least, at the very least, you would give water to them and say, hey, just wash your feet yourself. But finally, for a very distinguished guest, as you would have figured Jesus was for Simon, you might provide olive oil for anointing their head. It was expensive, but still it would be an, special, an especially hospital gesture that you would do. However, when Jesus is at Simon's house, if you were following with me, and you realize that there was no kiss, there was no foot washing, and there was no oil. And so these were not accidental oversights, but quite deliberate. Jesus was being ignored, and Jesus was being insulted. When you really look into what the culture was and what was happening, you really get to get a full picture of what's happening right here. And you notice the irony of the moment. Listen to this. The irony of the moment is that Simon was a priest. He was a Pharisee. And if you look at what the, the credentials of Pharisees were, what that would have meant is that Simon was someone who had spent his whole life studying the scriptures. Simon was somebody that, to be a Pharisee, by the age of 12, he, he would have already memorized the first 12 books of the Bible. Imagine that, memorize the first four, 12 books of the Bible. By the age of 15, he would have already memorized the entire Old Testament, including more than 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah. These were what you needed to do to become a Pharisee the way Simon was. So he would have had to do all these things. He would have had already all these credentials, all this head knowledge, yet he doesn't realize that before him, sitting right there, is the Messiah in which he was studying his whole life about. Whom he hasn't kissed, whose feet he hasn't washed, and whose head he hasn't anointed. Boy, 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 boy. He knew all about Jesus Christ, yet he did not know him. And so what Jesus was saying was, Simon, why are you thinking that of this woman? Because, man, you've got sin in your heart as well. He says, Simon, you didn't give me no water. Yet this sinful woman that you say, she's, she has tears that have washed my feet. Simon, you didn't give me a kiss to honor me when I came in. Yet this sinful woman that's right here has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you didn't anoint my head with oil the way you should have. Yet this sinful woman has anointed my feet with the perfume that has costed her so, so much. So why the difference? Why the difference? Why the two different perspectives of who Jesus was? The woman understood her total lost state. That's why the Bible says that the poor, the poor in spirit, they recognize their desperate situation. The priest, the Pharisee, he felt good about himself, and he did not recognize his spiritual poverty. Listen, forgiven people are driven. Forgiven people are driven to serve with gratitude, to serve with humility, and give sacrificially. 
That's why sometimes you can say, man, I've been a Christian all my life, but yet here's this guy. Man, he's like serving God like crazy. He, he wants to know so much about the word of God. He's all over the place. It's like, why don't I have the same passion? Man, because that guy knows where he came from. That guy knows what God delivered him from. That guy truly appreciates that he was down in, with the scum of the earth, and God scraped him off and re-delivered him. He knew that his life was a mess, but God rewrote his story. Verse 47, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. And that takes us to our last point today. And that is that loving like Jesus means immediate forgiveness that is activated by faith in action. Verse 48, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So we see that in our self-moralized cultural culture, it screams, right? All you hear is shame on you. Shame on you for being that way. Shame on you for thinking like that. Shame on you for doing that. But yet Jesus says, shame off of you. Jesus saw this woman differently. Jesus didn't see a streetwalker. He saw a broken woman, a daughter forgiven and cleansed of her past. Listen, it doesn't matter what people look at you as. It doesn't matter what they've called you. It doesn't matter what they think of you. It doesn't matter. The beautiful thing is that there's an invitation, and that is that if you want to know Jesus, if you want to meet Jesus, if you want to have a relationship with Jesus, Jesus doesn't look at you the way the world looks at you. Because the world will list all of your defects. And Jesus just looks at who it was that he designed in your mother's womb. The woman perceived that Jesus saw her differently. Jesus had a pure love and acceptance of her. She knew this, and she was grateful. But her experience needed to be defined and confirmed by the word. She felt deeply the gratitude toward Jesus, but she needed to hear the spoken word. She needed to hear the words, your sins are forgiven. That, 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 that makes the difference. You can think in your mind, yeah, someone has forgiven me, but when that person comes up to me and says, your sins are forgiven. You, you know, we're good. You know, what you did to offend me, we're good. I, you, I, I forgive you. That's what brings that total, complete healing. And that's what Jesus was saying to this woman, and that's what Jesus is saying to you here today. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. You want to hear these words? They're all over the Bible. It says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. You go to Jesus, Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't remember your sins anymore. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says, repent then and turn to God. So that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This passage tells you that if you repent, that means if you turn around from your old ways and you turn to God, that your sins are going to be wiped out. And that you're going to be refreshed now. Psalms 103.12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You want to continue to keep hearing God forgiving you of your sins if you go to him. John chapter 1, verse 12 to 13 says, But to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Listen, so if you're here, and we're going to close with this, and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with, with him, if you're watching us online, and, and maybe you just shared this, and you're just watching this, and, and you don't know, listen, go to Jesus just the way you are. Don't wait, because you don't know if you have tomorrow. You don't know if you've got an hour from now. If you sense Jesus pulling, tugging in your heart, go to him right now, just the way you are. If you're a believer, if you've already believed in Jesus Christ, remember what and where God has taken you from. God's forgiveness leads us to worship him unashamedly. So serve him wholeheartedly and be generous to others. And see, because in the end of this story here, the religious leader with all the knowledge is shown to have missed it. The prostitute who, who immediately expressed her love for Jesus, we see that she got it. She got it. So the question for us is this. Who am I most like in the story? How do you see Jesus? What do you perceive when you think of Jesus? Who are you? in this story. When is the last time, if ever, you had a moment with Jesus like this lady in the book of Luke chapter 7? When's the last time, if ever, that you poured yourself out before him? That you just went and you threw yourself before Jesus Christ, meaning you just went out of him, no matter where you were at, you just threw yourself and you began to, you began to pray to God. Listen, because this is a relationship. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Jesus Christ wants to know you. Jesus wants you to know him. When was the last time of ever? When was the last time of ever that tears streamed down your face as you expressed your love for him? You know, sometimes it's easy to watch a nice romantic movie and tears are running down my eyes. I know I can't watch anything, anything sentimental with my wife or she's crying. When was the last time that you went to Jesus with, with those tears running down your face because you were so, so, so grateful. So grateful for who he is. That story, that plot of that movie that gets you, all, hits you all up in the feels, man, just constantly think about what Jesus Christ did for you. That even though while we were still sinners, he died for us. We were messed up. We are sinful. We needed redemption. We needed freedom. We needed our sins to be blocked out because the reality is that unperfect people like us can't just go to a perfect God. Something had to happen. Jesus had to bridge that gap, and he did it. He stepped down from heaven. He put on our clothes. He put on our flesh, lived his life. He gave his life. In ministry, he preached his heart out. He saved people. He healed people, redeemed people. And yet at the very end, those same people were the people that were putting him on the cross. But that sin, that blood, that blood that dripped from the body of Jesus Christ was a result of our sin that was placed into him. But when we think about that, Jesus, you'd love me so much 
and you did that for me. That ought to get us all scared up at the feet of Jesus. Jesus loves you unconditionally. And he's here right now to take the shame off of you. Listen, many of you this morning, the reality is that you need to learn to love differently than you've ever loved before. You need to step up your love effort by seeking out the broken. We need to step up our, our, our love level, that we're not like Simon that was judgmental, but that we were like Jesus that was looking for those that, 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 that were broken, for those that were, were shame-filled. And we need to show them a fresh and sincere love like Jesus loved. Because I, I know you're different. I know you're not perfect. I know you make lots of mistakes, man, but I love you, and I want to show you someone who loves you even more. You've been forgiven much, church. And so a result of that is that we need to worship in gratitude, in humility, and in sacrifice. So right where you're at, while you're sitting, just just bow your head. I just want to pray for you while we get ready to set up for the baptism. Just close your eyes. and If you're watching us online, if you're here today and you're listening to this story, this very true but significant story, who are you? Who are you? You may be saying, man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not the Pharisee. I'm not the one that's judgmental. Man, I'm the one that's, that, that, that needs to be at the feet of Jesus because I'm the one that has also all this shame in my heart. Because right now, I'm the one that, that has so much guilt in my heart. I've done so much wrong. Is that you? And if it is you, run to the feet of Jesus. Just like this woman that she didn't care who was watching. She didn't care what people would say. She says, I need freedom and he can give it to me. Because he sees me different than the world sees me. He knows my heart, not my outward appearance. If that's you and you say, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to know you more. And I challenge you to go on ahead and, and begin to speak to Jesus right now. And all you got to do is speak just like I'm speaking right now. Lord, I need you. Jesus, I need you in my heart. If you need Jesus, say that to yourself right where you're at. Jesus, I need you in my heart. I need you to take the driver's seat for my life. I'm done. I'm tired of being God. I'm tired of, of trying to be perfect. I'm try, tired of all these things. I need you who wipes my sins away. And speak to God and let him know. Forgive me. Forgive me for all. If you're Simon, if you're that Pharisee, judgmental, someone who is who has learned, who studied, who knew so much of the, of the word and yet didn't realize that the word was sitting right across from him. We can so easily be distracted by rules and religion that we miss out on the actual opportunity in which God has placed us right in front of us. That's you. Go before God with a repentant heart. Say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for having this heart. Forgive me for being judgmental. Forgive me 
for looking at things the way I ought not to. Forgive me for thinking that I'm so, I'm so high and mighty. Forgive me for, for, for thinking myself to be so much better than the world. Forgive me. You've called me to love this world and to bring them to you. We thank you, Jesus. I pray that you would hear the hearts of those that are speaking to you here today and those that are listening online that are speaking to you right where they're at. God, that they would encounter you today. God, that they would run to you. God, that you would embrace them. Or that person right now that feels so alone, that feels like they're so alone, there's no one there. God, embrace them. Wrap your arms around them, and wherever they're at right now, allow them to feel the chill going down their bones, Father God, because the God of the universe is embracing them right now in this moment. Thank you for being near, close to the brokenhearted. Thank you, love you. We praise you. In Jesus' holy, mighty name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Let us just give the Lord a, just some, a round of applause and worship. I pray that today's message was a blessing to you. And uh, Jesus Christ, after he had was crucified, ascended up into the heavens, he left his mission to his disciples was to go out and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That was the mission. Like Jesus is going to say, I'm gone. I'll see you later. He says, no, I'm leaving. But everything that I taught you, you better start putting it into practice because there are more people that need to learn about this. And in one instance in the Bible, in the New Testament, the uh, uh, apostle Peter is preaching a message. And Peter goes on ahead and someone yells out, hey, what is it that we've got to do to be saved? What is it that we have to do to have this eternal life, to live in heaven and eternity for eternity? And Peter, I'm paraphrasing, he says, listen, what you've got to do is you've got to repent. That means you've got to turn around from your evil ways, meaning from your ways that are in any direction other than the direction of God. And be baptized. And then you'll be saved. A baptism, what it does is it means, when we get baptized here, what it means is, is we're showing to the public. We're showing to the public that, listen, the old me is gone. A new me is here. That just like when Jesus went into the grave, that, that's me going into the water. And Jesus came out in his renewed, in his renewed glorified body. And now I'm coming out a new person. That's what, that's what baptism is all about. Some people say, hey, man, it's, I don't know really if I want to get baptized. And I ask them, hey, the question is this. The question is this. Did you give your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? Did you make that decision? And they'll tell me most of the time, yes. And I answer, well, that's the most, that's the most difficult decision you had to make right there. The fact that you're saying you're, you're going to say no more to your old self and start a new life with Jesus Christ, that's a big deal. To get baptized is just a public statement of that. And you get to celebrate with others. And so today, it's with great joy that I heard a couple, actually probably about a month or so ago, uh, that someone was interested in, in getting baptized. And what we do here at New Life Community Church is we don't just go on ahead and, and preach a, a, a word 
let you know what the Bible says, tell you you need a life with Jesus, you sign up to do so, and then we tell you, figure it out on your own now. Good luck. That's not how we do. We set you up with a mentor, someone that can relate to you, someone that's going to go through uh, some steps with you to help show you what uh, walking with Christ looks like, specifically in the early stages of your life. And so we did that. We had this person that stepped up and says, hey, I'm ready to be baptized. And uh, we hooked them up with a mentor. The mentor went through what we call a begin book. It's a very short book with a couple chapters that we talk about what baptism is and, and, and what does it mean. And then they, they make the decision on their own if they want to do that. We know that, you know, for some of us, you know, when we were born, uh, depending on our backgrounds, that our parents went out ahead and, and baptized us as a church. There's nothing wrong with that. Our parents were doing what they felt was best for us. But in reality, when we really look at the Bible, when we really look at the Bible, we see that baptisms was something that was not done in the beginning. Did you know that Jesus Christ himself was not baptized as a baby? The Bible says that in the eighth day, which was the tradition, the Jewish laws, he was presented unto the Lord. But it really wasn't until he was at the age of 30 in which he began his public ministry that he goes to the Jordan and is baptized by his cousin John. So that was that public uh, issuance. And so that's what we're going to do today. And so I want to go on ahead. I want to take more time. Is this hooked up? This mic here? I want to go on ahead and invite um, Gael and his mentor, Jesus, up to uh, right here. Let's give him a round of applause. And uh, you can stay right there. And uh, this is you don't know them, it's not the other way around. A teenager that's decided to, to go on ahead and get baptized. Guy also, we're excited. Uh, I've gotten the pleasure to meet him and his family as well. And so I don't want to take too much more time because people really came to see you get dunked in the water. Um, so I want to give you the mic. Um, and I just want to, you, you don't have to get into the full story unless you want to. Uh, but just ask you a simple question before uh, we go on ahead and do that. Um, what made you make this decision? Um, I wanted to, um, I felt like it was the right time to, uh, give my life to Christ and, uh, follow his steps. And I want to get rid of the old me, and I want a new me in my life. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And, uh, how, how old are you? Fourteen. Fourteen years old. Amen. There's, there's people a lot later in life that still haven't made this decision. And so be encouraged, church. Be encouraged by this young man. And so explain to me the process. How did it go uh, being mentored with, uh, with Brother Jesus? Jesus is also, he's a part of the, him and his wife are going to lead our youth ministry. But how was that? Well, if someone was saying, man, I'm interested in getting baptized, I just don't know what the process looks like. How was that time that you went through the book there with uh, Brother Jesus? Uh, he really helped me a lot uh, to know about what it's like to get baptized. And um, I'm, I'm glad that he helped me. And thank you for that. Praise God. And do you want to say anything to your family? I, I normally don't do this, but you want to say anything to your mom at this moment? Uh, thank you all for coming here. Really appreciate it. I love you all. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, listen, I'm going to steal a line from one of my old buddies. Is I wish that we can all take you back there into the baptismal to see him. Uh, and as a matter of fact, we can we're social distancing. We're going to watch it on the screen, guys. Go on ahead. Go back there and get ready. Team, let's lead the, the church of worship. Everybody can stand up, clap, get ready. This is a celebratory moment now. So 
We're in a party. Let's party. Satan fought like lightning. I saw darkness run for cover. But the miracle that I just can't get over, my name is registered in heaven. I believe in signs and wonders. I have resurrection power. Still the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven My praise belongs to you forever This is my testimony from death to life Cause grace rewrote my story Now I'm alive By Jesus Christ the righteous I testify this is my testimony, this is my testimony. Come together, sons and daughters, by with blood and wash and water. Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father, our God. We'll finish what he started. Our God will finish what he started. This is my testimony from death to life. The grace rewrote my story. I'll testify. Our Jesus Christ the righteous. I'll justify. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe. If I'm not dead, you're not Greater things are still to come, oh, I believe. This is my testimony from death to life, because grace rewrote my story. I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. This is my testimony from death to life Cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified This is my testimony Oh, I'm alive Yeah, let's give God a praise this morning We thank you, Lord 
here with his blessing. Church, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you all. May the Lord be gracious unto you. May the Lord give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and we say today, amen. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. You are dismissed. We love you. Don't forget to sign up for a life group. We'll see you next week.